Funding for this edition of Think Tank with Steve Adubato has been provided by RWJ Barnabas Health, New Jersey Institute of Technology, NJIT, makes a difference in our students' futures. The Healthcare Foundation of New Jersey, PSENG, committed to providing safe, reliable energy now and in the future. Summit City, MD a provider of primary, specialty, and urgent care. The Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. The Russell Berry Foundation, making a difference. Valley Bank. And by United Airlines. Promotional support provided by AM970, The Answer. And by NJ.com. Small news, big news, true Jersey. Welcome to Think Tank on News 12 Plus. I'm Steve Adubato, joined by my colleague, uh, Nicole Swinerton, who is, in fact, the senior producer of Think Tank. Hey, uh, let's set this show up. This is, these are two media giants, uh, one from CNN, the other from MSNBC, both on every day. Tell folks who they are and why they matter. Sure. So first we have Joy Reid, who has her brand new show, The Readout, on MSNBC. And then we have Jim Shuto, who's on CNN every morning. And um, I was really proud to produce these segments. They are super jam-packed with information. And both of these guests are um, incredible journalists who are really making a difference right now, um, delivering the news that we need. So uh, they talk a lot about uh, President Trump and how he's impacting the media, how they feel about him calling the media fake news, uh, and so much more. We are the enemy of the people. Don't forget that. I guess so. And that's yeah. what the president says. By the way, let's plug this. Before we plug our funders, this book, uh, The Madman Theory, Trump Takes on the World from Jim, Jim Shudo. Yeah, right? he talks all about how Trump wants to seem like he um, is crazy enough to do something such as nuke, nuke a country. Um, and that was something that had come from uh, Richard Nixon. So yeah. um, he writes all about that. Yeah, and Joy Reid, by the way, her show's on every night at 7 p.m. Monday through Friday on MSNBC. Uh, she's a great friend, great journalist. Uh, she's been on with us many times. Real quick, uh, Joy Reid talked about her reaction to Kamala Harris being nominated by Vice President uh, Biden. Yes, right? it's, it's historic. And I would imagine that as a black woman, that is something that's pretty amazing to see. Um, personally, I think it's pretty amazing to see myself. So um, I think it's, it's really incredible and historic moment, no matter what side of the aisle you're from. Yeah, we'll see what happens. And by the way, this can be seen before and after the election. Before we go to the, uh, this edition of Think Tank, thank our sponsors. Absolutely. So we'd love to thank RWJ Barnabas Health, NJIT, the Healthcare Foundation of New Jersey, and PSENG. Well said, Nicole Swinerton. I'm Steve Adubato. That is our producer, our senior producer, Nicole. And without further ado, this is Think Tank. Hi, this is Steve Adubato. Thank you so much for joining us remotely. It is our honor. Last time she was in our Tish WNET studio in New York. Now she joins us remotely. She is the one, the only Joy Reid, who is the host of MSNBC's The Readout every night at 7 p.m. How you doing, my friend? 
I am doing very well, my friend. It's so great to see you, Steve. Here we are in our virtual worlds, right? It's, it's, it's a whole brave new day, brave new world. It really is. By the way, uh, the difference between AM Joy, which uh, all of us came to love um, and appreciate, and the difference between AM Joy, which you did for how long, by the way? Four years. We hit four years in April. Great show. The difference between that and the readout. Well, I think for one thing, you know, having a weekend show, um, we had the luxury of looking back at the week. I mean, you know, Donald Trump did try to break news every day. And so every so often there would be some breaking news. I mean, Charlottesville happened on a Saturday. Yep. So that happened during our hour. So sometimes you'd get breaking news, but you had this sort of opportunity to reflect. You know, you had a couple, we had a couple of days, we would start thinking about the show on Wednesday and putting it together. And so you had the leisure of really reacting to what had already happened during the week. This is different. I mean, this is, you're dropped right in the middle of the news cycle and it's all happening, you know, every minute, you know, we're still adjusting right up until showtime because, you know, Donald Trump loves to do a lot of his newsmaking in the evenings. Uh, yeah. By the way, this, I hope that this program can be seen both before the election and after. So let, let's, let's not do horse race. Let's do not prognosticating or whatever, you know, let's talk about this. I was watching uh, MSNBC when the announcement of Kamala Harris came down and you called in, I, I believe Brian Williams was on the desk. Your reaction from a personal, not just a media point of view. Well, I mean, it was it was revolutionary. You know, I, I had a lot of the same feeling personally that I had when, um, when then Senator Obama um, got the nomination in 2008. You know, I mean, this country um, has produced a lot of pain for black people, um, a lot of suffering, a lot of loss, um, a lot of theft, you know, a lot of um, degradation. And you think about, you know, George Floyd being the latest, you know, black man, black, you know, been black men, black women, Breonna Taylor dying at the hands of police. You I mean, the amount of pain that you're constantly kind of faced with, you know, that these moments of embrace from whether it's the party, whether it's voters, whatever, the idea that a black person could could have that kind of an achievement and get that kind of affirmation, particularly a black woman, it, I think everyone I know was elated. I was elated. You know, my my uh, our middle son came down and watched um, Kamala Harris give her first statement. It, 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 it's meaningful to me because it means that my kids and my kids' kids will never, ever doubt that a Black woman can be anything in this country. And I think that's important for every child to feel. Troy, forget about electoral politics for a second, but from a personal and somewhat professional, but largely personal point of view, what responsibility do you think you have? It's one thing to talk about Kamala Harris and she may become the vice president, uh, we will see what happens in that election. But you are, in fact, um, the only African-American woman who is anchoring a nighttime news program in prime time. You're the only one, which in and of itself speaks volumes. We're doing a series called Confronting Racism, not a one-off, but an ongoing series. What responsibility do you feel you have? It's a tremendous responsibility. I mean, because I am very much aware that I am to some young girl what Gwen Ifill or Carol Simpson was to me, right? Because they were the only ones, you know, on network news. We miss Gwen. 
A hundred percent. I mean, I only got to meet, meet her once, but it was one of um, the happiest days of my life in 2015 when I got to meet her in Selma. Um, I was so excited because she was just an icon to me. You know, I've Absolutely. gotten to meet Carol Simpson. I met her at NABJ and just was so excited just to, you know, see them in person. And I mean, the reality is for me growing up, you know, everyone who told me what the world was, was a white man, you know, all the news anchors, we were a Dan Rather family. So it was Dan Rather, it was Ted Koppel, it was Tim Russert, you know, it was Sam Donaldson, like everyone who was explaining the world to me other than my own mother and my teachers were white men. And so the idea that you could have the responsibility of being a black woman who can tell people the world, explain politics, explain what's happening. That is huge. And it is a huge responsibility. And I'm very much aware of it. I, I've called it a beautiful burden because, you know, I accept the responsibility because I want to make sure that, you know, the young girls of color that are watching me feel as much ownership over what I'm doing as I felt with Gwen. Let me let me try this because you and I have been in the studio together, both you on our show um, and I'm fortunate enough to join you on yours. I know from a personal and human point of view, you're. A, it sounds like a cliche and sounds corny. You're a very nice person, and I'll tell you where I'm going with this. Right now, the president is calling Kamala Harris nasty. After the election, some people will still be nasty for real. That being said. I'm obsessed with the degree of nastiness, name-calling, vitriolic, personal attacks, and it makes me sick. And we work hard not to be that. Do you sometimes, because you're not a name-caller, because you are a nice person, long-winded question, I know, do you sometimes say, I, I, it's making me sick? It, it is sickening. And you know, you, you, you talk and write a lot about leadership, you know, Steve. And, and to me, the essence of leadership is that you are the avatar for what the country ought to be, right? When you're president of the United States, look, we, my, my mom lost her job in the first um, budget uh, that Ronald Reagan put out. He was all about cutting the budget. And so we were not fans of Ronald Reagan, all right, to say the least. But when the challenger happened, Reagan could get on TV and be a leader even to me, somebody who really didn't like him, you yeah. know? But he knew that you needed to say the words that would comfort. Like there are a lot of people who hated Bill Clinton, but when a tragedy happened, when the Murrah building um, went down, he could get on television and say the words that were right. There are people who, you know, had birth Barack Obama. Barack Obama, right? They in the most him. incredibly difficult circumstances. Unbelievable. But, Remember you know, in the church? Oh my God, he got I mean, Come on. I mean, he was Doesn't able matter to matter whether you liked him or not or his policies. Yeah, you could. You, he was he, that sermon that he gave for the Charleston Nine, where he sang a little bit Did of he sang Amazing Grace. Was that that time? Yeah. And that was to me, that was saying, I am the one I'm the person who's responsible for channeling the pain and anguish. When he talked about those little kids that were killed, um, you know, these little kids who were massacred in their school and he started to tear up. Yeah, that's how we felt. So I, I, I am, I've never seen a president, honestly, and I'll put Nixon, every one of them. They all fundamentally understood that that was the job. That's part of the job. That's the ceremonial job of president. Donald Trump not only neglects that job, he rejects it because I don't think he thinks he's my president. I think he thinks he's his basis president. 
And so I'm not included. And you know when you're not included because you're nasty, because you're stupid, because you're low IQ, because you, you shouldn't even get your mail. The post office is- You're enemy is of the people. people. You're an enemy of the people, right? We're enemies of the people. So it's shocking to live in a country where that is the mode of leadership that we're being given. But yeah, I'm conscious of, you know, it's funny, you've been on the show. Um, well, we got to come on my new show, but on the old, on the old show on, on, uh, on, on AM Joy, I think you might've noticed. That's a family yeah. there, by the way. Yeah. We, we felt we like family. Little, well, we had a little light heart to the show, you know? I mean, we know the news is bad, but we had a little bit of a fun spirit yep. to it because we never want the show to feel mean. Even mm -hmm. now, tonight, while we're covering some of the worst, I mean, we're at almost 200,000 dead in America, but we try to find some place in the show to have a little bit of a light spirit because I feel like people need nice. Why are you optimistic? Well, it's or funny because I, I don't call myself optimistic. I call myself a, a joyful pessimist. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I'm actually very pessimistic. I'm just happy. Well, my name is Joy. There's a lot of pressure to be happy. That's right. But, uh, I'm sort of a gleeful pessimist. I tend to be very actually quite pessimistic um, because I think human nature, unfortunately, is very tribal. And so we want to fight. We want to find a, a group or a team. Like even you think about how much Americans and all people all over the world love sports because even if it's just sports, we like to be on this team and That's fight right. that. Right, it's an it's sort of a human instinct, and tribalism is a human instinct. So yeah. I tend to think that if people can sort of defeat the other tribe, they're always going to try to do it. Like that's never going to end. That's why partisanship exists. So I'm pessimistic, actually. But in this moment, the Kamala Harris addition to the ticket made me optimistic for two reasons. Number one, it told me something really profoundly good about Joe Biden. And you know, just as a voter. I was not like a big Joe Biden fan. I, I was a huge fan of him as vice president. I thought he was the best vice president in the history of vice presidents. He was the perfect wingman. I wasn't sure he would be as good of a president as a vice president. But, and then there were all these stories that people having yeah, resentment yeah. about, right? That all these resentments about Kamala Harris talking you know, bluntly with him about race and maybe there was resentment there. The fact that Joe Biden, who isn't even a boomer, he's like the next generation up from a boomer, that he as a white guy could say, I can look past that. I want somebody who'll talk real to me about race. I That's want right. somebody from a Gen Xer who'll say, here's the thing on race that you need to hear. And I'm like, this is a big man. He's a man. I like that. Says a lot. It said a lot. And the second thing is that he really said, I'm going to make this history. I'm going to make it in the most profound way. I'm going to put someone on who could be president. Because there's right. all that, we don't want an ambitious person who might want to be president. <laughs> He put someone on who absolutely That's could right. be the next president. I, I, that made me optimistic. Hey, Joy, I, I want to thank you. Hopefully, the next time I'll, we'll be together in a studio. But yeah. even remotely, it's terrific having you. I want to plug again that Joy show. The readout is on every night at MSNBC, Monday through Friday at 7 p.m. Be well, my friend. I, I look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you so much, Steve. Always great to be with you. See you soon. You got it. I'm Steve Adubato. We'll be right back. To see more Think Tank with Steve Adubato programs and to listen to Think Tank with Steve Adubato, the podcast, visit us online at steveadubato.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Ph.D. 
and follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. Valley's all about making life easier for clients, and that's why we're all about smiles, too. So every day, we make it possible for home buyers to become homeowners, for folks chasing their dreams to become entrepreneurs, for parents to plan today for their children's tomorrow, and for communities to get better every day. You see, when we know we've put a smile on a customer's face, well, that puts one on ours, too. This is Steve Adubato. I want to thank you so much for joining us. We are honored to be joined by a gentleman I wake up to just about every day, um, but a lot of other people as well waking up to me. He is Jim Shudo, and he is co-anchor of CNN Newsroom every morning from 9 to 11 a.m. daily. Also CNN's chief national security correspondent and the author of a compelling book, really good stuff. It is called uh, Madman Theory, Trump Takes on the World. Jim, great to have you on public broadcasting. Thank you. I've been looking forward to this uh, for a long time. Same here. The premise of the book, by the way, we're taping this at the end of the summer 2020. We'll show this even after the election. We don't know how it's going to go. Why is this significant? What's the premise and why is it significant? The, the premise is that Donald Trump uh, promised to be a president who was going to disrupt, right? and that he was going to disrupt with a plan, with a strategy, that, that, that his madman, uh, the unpredictable president, was going to keep everyone off balance, uh, swoop in at the end with a deal uh, that was going to be better for all of us, right? Uh, the, the, he didn't call it the madman theory, but as I watched Nixon him, did back in the day. Yeah. Uh, as I watched him lead the country for four years, it reminded me uh, of, of Nixon, uh, who who owned the, the madman theory. Um, famously, during the Vietnam War, he had Kissinger in no uncertain terms communicate to North Vietnam. He was just mad enough to launch a nuclear strike on North Vietnam. He wasn't, but it was part of a strategy uh, to get them to- Get them to think? Uh, get them to think and, and give up some leverage in negotiations and hopefully end that war on better terms. As you know, the strategy didn't work. Nixon still owned it. H.R. Uh, Haldeman writes about it in his memoirs. 50 years later, we have a president who comes in with, with a similar promise saying, I'm going to keep everybody off balance. I know what I'm doing here. I'm going to, I'm going to turn it all around for us. The, the thing about Trump is that his madman theory, he was just as likely to unleash it on allies as adversaries. Think of our relations with NATO allies, the threats he's made to them, or to South Korea. If you don't pay more, five times more for the deployment, I'll, I'll yank the troops. Or, yeah. or Canada, right? Declaring them a national security threat, imposing steel tariffs. Uh, so, so just as likely to um, uh, use this against enemies as friends. And, and I write about this a lot in the book, his own advisors. They, they, they didn't know what he was going to do next. Uh, and that created enormous upset and confusion within the running of this country on its most sensitive national security issues. So, so Jim, let me, let me twist this a little bit or, or frame it a little differently. I'm a student of leadership, um, write about leadership, teach about it, and I'm a student of Donald Trump's leadership style. So here's what I'm going to ask you. <clears throat> Outside of politics, yeah, there's an election. We don't know who's going to win. It could be Trump. It could be Joe Biden. From a leadership perspective, what do you believe Donald Trump's leadership around the world has done to impact our position as a country around the world 
regardless of whether he wins or not or loses or not? Trump claims that the world respects us again. The record contradicts that. And his own advisors contradict that. Let's talk about his relationships with, uh, with other authoritarian leaders. That The president has a remarkable admiration, affinity for Vladimir Putin, Kim Jong-un, Xi Jinping, Erdogan of Turkey. Do they view him as uniquely strong or intimidating? Based on their actions and decisions, no. Erdogan made two phone calls to Trump and got him to do what he wanted him to do, withdraw U.S. troops from Syria, contradicting U.S. policy, abandoning an ally, undermining the fight against ISIS. Putin, after four years, despite the president's claims uh, of no one's been tougher on Russia than Trump, which, by the way, is belied by the record and his own advisors, uh, Putin is more aggressive, not less aggressive, four years later. North Korea's nuclear program is bigger not smaller than it was four years ago. They have more nukes, more advanced ballistic missile program, and they're more capable of putting a miniaturized nuke on the tip of a warhead. China, and yes, the president deserves credit, and I write about this in the book, uh, for do. finally standing up to a whole host of Chinese uh, misbehavior, but China is more aggressive, not less aggressive. So when you look at the rec record, the before and after, his claim that the world respects him and us again, it, it's belied by the record. So say for a second, Joe Biden does become the next president. How much of what you argue in the madman theory, Trump takes on the world, A, will Biden need to undo? And more importantly, would he even be able to undo and improve? It's an open question, right? You know, because confidence uh, is hard to gain, but easily lost. It's hard to build back up again. And the Trust. president... Trust, exactly. The president has raised questions about things that, that were decades in the building. Uh, for instance, the solidity of the NATO alliance, right? Here were nations who for decades promised to defend each other, that an attack on you is an attack on all of us. By the way, last time NATO invoked that, Article 3 was after 9-11 in defense That's right. of us. The president has publicly raised questions about that commitment, the U.S. commitment to that, which has led our closest NATO allies, Germany and France, say, we can't rely on the U.S. anymore. Now, a new president can say, whether in three months or four years, uh, we are back in this alliance, but our allies and even our adversaries might say, for how long, right? Until the next election? How do we know? Uh, the U.S. signed an international agreement with Iran over its nuclear deal, whatever you think about it, right? That was with America's allies and China. Right. And Russia. Let's say Biden possibly says, okay, let's get back into the deal. Um, what is their guarantee, they might reasonably ask, that this will last more than four years to the next election? It raises real questions uh, that may uh, be difficult to correct uh, in short order. When it comes to international affairs, it seems to me that leadership is, a and you wrote the book, so I'm just going to ask it this way. Disruption, when it comes to leadership around the world as a United States president, it's not the same as disruption in media and innovation and creativity. Be a disruptor. It's not the same. You want to be a stabilizer, or do I have that, and do I have I frame that in too simplistic a way? No, I, I think there, there are def definitely commonalities, but in either sphere, business or geopolitics, you got to have a plan if you're going to yeah. disrupt. And as it played out under Trump, 
It was disruption without a plan. It was disruption for disruption's sake. For just uh, for the sake of disruption. Well, or uh, or based on President Trump's supreme confidence that he has it figured out or will figure it out. But again, the record doesn't support that. I mean, look at North Korea. The president tried both fire and fury and a love affair with Kim Jong-un. And four years later, we come out, Kim Jong-un has more nukes, not fewer nukes. And, and, and throughout, he was defying the advice of his advisors. Um, but he went forward because he knew better. Well, as the record shows, he didn't know better on the pandemic as well. He knew better that this uh, was not a real crisis here. Everyone, I mean, even the, even the loyalists in his administration were warning him, Peter Navarro among them, but he didn't listen. And he turned out to be wrong. So disruption can be necessary at times. And I write about this in the book. There, there are things that certainly hadn't worked under previous presidents, but what has Trump replaced them with? Where's the record of success? It's hard to find that on many of these fronts. The relationship that the media has with Trump, Trump has with the, the relationship between Trump and the media, the whole enemy of the people thing, how does that make you feel on a professional, on a personal level? Personally, my attitude is I don't care because- You don't care he, what he says. Well, I, I care what it means for my country and I'll get to that. But for me personally, I'm gonna forge ahead. I have a job to do, I believe in it. I've done my best throughout my career to hold uh, leaders accountable, whatever their party. Um, so I'll keep going forward. Uh, for my country, uh, I'm genuinely concerned, right? Because, because the attacks work. They undermine people's confidence, not just in a free media, freedom of the press, but also in the very existence of facts you know, this alternative facts environment, you know, th this is an assault on, on all facts in a way. And there's something Soviet about it, Steve, I got to tell you, it goes back because if, if, if nothing, you know, if, if we're not sure about anything, then, nothing, then nothing's true. And you see this all the time. I mean, we had, we had Larry Kudlow on the other day talking about I saw you know, economic effects of this. And, you know, we were quoting um, economic figures. And he says, well, you've got your economic presses, I have mine. <laughs> Uh, Peter Navarro on hydroxychloroquine. We're quoting the FDA on, on this doesn't work in the study. Well, you've got your studies, I've got my book. No, that's not true. They, they, you know, there are truths, but in this environment, there aren't anymore. It's just my facts and your facts. And you, you, can't run, you can't run a company on that if you don't have agreed upon business statistics, right? You can't run a country if, the, if you can't agree upon facts. After writing the book, after reporting every day, by the way, let me remind people every day they can check you out from 9 to 11, Monday through Friday, right? Yep, that's right. Reason that you are optimistic moving forward, regardless of how this election plays out, regardless of, again, cross our fingers about the pandemic, a vaccine that works, that is reliable, that is accessible, et cetera, et cetera. Reason why you, being in journalism every day, reporting on behalf of CNN every day, with all the things going on in the world, long-winded question, why are you optimistic or are you not? I, I am optimistic by nature. I, I know there exists and I meet them and speak to them every day, people around this country uh, in every walk of life and in every industry are good people and, and want, you know, have their heart in the right place and, and want to do the right thing. They may have disagreements uh, over how best to get there, but a general disagreement about 
you know, the, the way the world should operate. Um, why I worry, though, is that we have become so siloized in this country, right, living in our own realities, uh, that there's too seldom overlap, a meeting in the middle, and, and our system reflects that, right? You know, compromise is a dirty word now on Capitol Hill. You know, a whole host of causes to that, uh, you know, social media, you know, but, but also gerrymandering, um, that, that I worry about our system's ability to solve big problems. I worry about that. Now, America's been in tough situations before and turned it around, and, and I have hope that we will, but it's going to take work, real work by all of us to do that. Jim, I want to thank you so much for joining us. And also on behalf of everyone at Public Television, thank you for the work you do every day at CNN. The book is called The Man Man Th Mad Man Theory, Trump Takes on the World. Jim, um, and by the way, he's also a national best-selling author of The Shadow War, another great book. Jim, all the best to you and your family. Take care. Great, great talking to you. I really appreciate the time. Same here. I'm Steve Adubato. Thank you so much for watching. We'll see you next time. Think Tank with Steve Adubato has been a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation. Funding has been provided by RWJ Barnabas Health, New Jersey Institute of Technology, the Healthcare Foundation of New Jersey, PSENG, Summit City MD, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, the Russell Berry Foundation, Valley Bank, and by United Airlines. Promotional support provided by AM970, The Answer, and by NJ.com. Every day, nearly 2 million customers across New Jersey rely on PSCNG to provide natural gas. And every day, PSCNG is committed to doing it safely. That includes making sure you know what to do if you smell gas. A natural gas leak smells like rotten eggs. If you suspect a gas leak, leave your home immediately. Get far away, then call 911. Remember, smell, leave, call. Protect the ones you love. Learn more at pscg.com slash gas safety.